Hey guys, this is Matt. And this is Sean. Welcome to the show. We're meeting at the crossroads of wellness and sales in an attempt to share different mental, physical, and spiritual tactics to attain better results in your life of sales. We're going to experiment, challenge, and discuss what may or may not work for you in hopes to push you to become the best version of yourself. Hope you enjoyed today's show. All right. We are live here with Jeremy. Jeremy, how are we doing? Uh, Sean, Matt, I don't know, I, who, which one's Sean, which one's Matt? Sean right here. Matt. <laughs> okay, Sean and Matt, all right. Thanks for having me on your show, uh, it's an honor. Uh, what would you like to cover? Well, let's give give a quick intro here, guys. So so for the listeners, today we have a exciting guest here, Jeremy Miner. So he had a extremely successful 17-year sales career, was recognized as the Number 45 highest earning producer out of 108 million salespeople. Jeremy's got a unique sales training uh, methodology that covers a lot of behavioral science and human psychology. So a lot of stuff that we talk about on Optimized Sales. So Jeremy, thank you for coming and uh, welcome to Optimized Sales. Yeah, let me clarify something. So we didn't have 108 million salespeople (laughs) in my company I work for. So that was out of any industry selling any product or service. So. I okay. I was like, what that. company but, are you working for? Whoa, yeah. what company is that? It has 108 million salespeople. No, that's out of any industry. So you, you get recognized by, uh, it's an association that works with like the direct selling, uh, okay. direct selling industry. And they just rank salespeople in all industries based on earnings and career earnings and stuff. So okay. there you go. Lots of fun and games. Thanks for having me on your show. Let's roll. Thank, thanks for yeah. joining us. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one question that typically kicks things off for most of us yeah. Uh, most of the podcasts with our guests is just how'd you get into sales, right? I think everyone's story's uh, different and unique and can provide a lot of uh, well, clarity I mean, on how you got here. Yeah, Mine's fairly boring, but I'll, I'll give you kind of a, a brief overview because I think uh, for your listeners, I think kind of, you know, giving you an overview might help kind of show you where you could be once you acquire the right skills from maybe where you're at right now, even if you're already doing good. So I got started in sales 22 years ago, broke, burned out college student. And I got my first job selling home security systems door to door, you know, listening to us who in here is sold door to door, right? You, you know, so company basically hires everybody because it's straight commission. You don't make a sale, you don't get paid. Yeah. basically gives you a script, a couple books from the sales gurus, and basically drives you out in a van and kind of kicks you out of the van and basically says, hey, go make some sales. We'll pick you up after dark. Okay. And I still remember, it's kind of unique because I was thinking about this before I got on. I still remember I was the last one dropped off and they gave me like these little three streets to, to knock doors. And I remember looking back at my sales manager that just dropped me off. His name was Xane. And Xane said, Jeremy, remember, be enthusiastic when they open the door. Show them how much you believe in the product and they're going to believe in it too. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. If I believe in it and show them how excited I am, then they're going to believe in it too. That makes complete sense. So I started knocking on doors and I was all excited. And I was talking about my features and benefits and how we had the best this and the best that and how much it was going to help them. And I started noticing from the very first door that I was getting all these objections. We don't need it. We can't afford it. Uh, We're not interested. We already talked with somebody from your company last month. I need to talk with my spouse. I need to think it over. I need to do more research. Can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? You know, how many of you listening to us right now 
ever get some of those objections. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, one late Friday evening, standing on a curb, waiting to get picked up by the van, the sales manager. And I remember like the hot, humid sun. It's like you're talking like end of July. This is probably about seven to eight weeks in, barely making any sales, nonstop rejection. I remember like the sweat rolling down my chest and my back, my legs completely like exasperated, worn out from like walking 12 hours. I still even remember like rubbing my shoes against like the hot concrete. I don't know, that just came up for me. And I remember I'd worked 12 hours that day and made zero sales. In fact, that entire week I'd made zero sales, so I made zero dollars. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, maybe, maybe selling, maybe selling just wasn't for me. And so I remember my manager picked me up and he pops in this Tony Robbins CD. I know, crazy things. 22 years ago, people listen to things called CDs. It's remarkable, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're younger than me. And Tony said something like this. I could be butchering what he said, but he said, most, he said, you will fail if you don't learn the right skills that are necessary to succeed. You will fail if you don't learn the right skills. Now, he actually goes on to say that everyone in jobs are taught skills. But he said the people who fail are the ones who are not taught the right ones. And when I heard him say that, it was like suddenly like this light bulb went off in my brain, right? I don't have many many brain power up there, but it's like a light bulb went off. It was like divine intervention from the heavens that there was a difference in skills. Because I just thought all skills were the same. I mean, I'm a 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid. And I remember like thinking maybe what the company was training me And what I was learning from what I now call the old sales gurus, maybe they just weren't the right skills anymore. Maybe they were just outdated, didn't work as well. And so I committed to myself that I was going to have to acquire these skills. And that kind of gave me that search because there was a major dilemma going on in my mind because on one hand, you know, that I was studying all these books that the company was giving me and I would notice that some of the techniques from the sales gurus would work and I would make some sales, but I also noticed a lot of their techniques didn't work at all. In fact, when I used them, it would actually trigger more objections, it seemed like. It would actually cause the prospect to emotionally shut down even more and it seemed like I would even lose more deals. At the same time, I was in college and my major is behavioral science and human psychology, which is, if you really think about it, it's really the study of the brain and how human beings make decisions, like behavioral patterns, okay? So my professors, they were saying that the most persuasive way to communicate was over here, if you can see me, okay? One of those, uh, are you you guys, have you ever read anything by Robert Caldini? No, no. Robert Caldini is a very famous behavioral science. He's actually here at Arizona State University. So he's got books called Influence, Persuasion. He's got lots of different books, okay? So I was studying my professors like that were telling me the most persuasive way to communicate was here. The sales gurus, they were saying it was over here, like complete opposite. So I'm like, how do I take the theory of behavioral science and how the brain makes decisions, which is really sales, right? How do you get them to say yes instead of say no? And how do I wrap that into my sales process? So I started doing that out of really necessity. What choice did I have? I wasn't hardly making any money. And I started learning how to use techniques that work with human behavior, that actually cause the prospect to pull me in rather than me trying to push. And overnight, selling became very, very easy and very, very profitable. And that's how it all started for me in a scoop. So what drew you to the psychology side of it? Is it something you were always interested in? Is it something that uh, you, you felt would help with 
sales in general or what, what was that draw? And did you, how, how early of an age did you kind of feel that? Well, that was my major. So that's what I went to school for. So I went to school for like behavioral science cause I was going to be a psychologist. And so I, I started learning how the brain makes decisions. And so I'm like, oh, I can use this for sales. Cause I never saw anything that really talks about why does a human being go into fight or flight mode? What triggers that? It's like nobody, everybody's like, oh, don't make, make sure they don't go yeah. into fight or flight mode. Well, what causes fight or flight mode? Do they just, does the prospect wake up in the morning? They're like, you know what? When that salesperson calls today, I'm gonna go into fight or flight mode. No, that's a triggered mm -hmm. reaction. And that's one thing that most salespeople don't understand. You know, typically within the first, you know, seven to 12 seconds of any sales conversation you're in, it doesn't matter if it's an outbound lead, if you're cold calling, if it's an inbound lead who books on Zoom with you or it's in person, your prospect is picking up on social cues from you. I mean, you guys oh, yeah. do it too. When you go to networking events and some stranger comes up and starts to talk to you, what do you first do? You start to analyze, like, who is this person? Why are they talking to me? What do they want? Are they trying to sell me? It's It goes off in your subconscious mind. Like, as a human being, um, our reptilian parts of our brain are wired to do that. It's like we go into protection mode. Right. So let's say the first human beings, I don't know when they were here. Let's say they were here 200,000 years ago. And I'm just making some random number up. OK, um, fight or flight mode was, you know, how do you protect yourself from the tiger that's trying to eat you? Well, now fight or flight mode is also that how to protect yourself from death. But it's also how do you protect yourself from being sold? Right. Because we're constantly being sold to all the time with marketing messages and salespeople. So it triggers that reaction. So subconsciously, we can't help it as a human being. We're picking up on like your verbal and nonverbal cues based on what you, the salesperson, are saying or asking the tone of how you're doing that that triggers the brain to react in one of two ways. So if you come across aggressive, like overly enthusiastic, like I talked to you about earlier in my story, if you, if you come across more, let's say, needy, and you know what I mean. You can feel the neediness when you're on the phone, right? If you feel it, do you think they feel it? And if you come across especially attached and you don't understand the right questions to ask, you don't understand the tone, it triggers the brain to go, like I said, into fight or flight mode where they try to get rid of you. Oh, no, we're good. We're not interested. Oh, yeah, I remember filling that out, but uh, I'm really busy. Can you call me back Saturday at, at 10 o'clock at night? Or, you know what? Enough with the questions. Just tell me what you got and I'll tell you if I'm interested. That's a triggered reaction. So everybody listening, if you get that, that's because you're triggering that response, okay? Now, once you learn what we train, it's called NEPQ, Neuroemotional Persuasion Questioning. We can talk a little bit about that today if we have time. Once you learn how to come across more neutral, what I mean by that is unbiased. Like you're not quite sure you can even help yet. You don't know enough information about their situation. When you learn how to come across more, let's say, collective, more calm and especially detached, you understand the right questions to ask, it triggers the human brain to become curious enough where they want to engage. They want to open up because they feel like you might have something important to them. Make sense? Yeah. And I think um, going a little bit back to the history, it's, it's kind of cool that you're able to pick up on a lot of that stuff that you, you studied from the behavioral science side, learn that in sales and obviously going from selling alarm systems. What, what was the next step in you and your, your sales career? Give a little bit more background of there to yeah, I was in, where you I are was now. In, uh, like yeah. the home security industry for about four and a half years. And then I wanted to get into like more high end selling. So I left that right. and got into B2B sales. I got into sell like debt consolidation for primarily SMB, some enterprise, more SMB. 
Uh, left, at, left that after about a five and a half year career, made a ton of money in that as a salesperson, and then got into network marketing, blew that up, uh, made a lot of money there. And then my last industry, the last four years I was in, was selling like high ticket uh, financial investing events uh, to both companies and uh, investors and individuals. And then I retired back in 2017 for about a year. There you go. And uh, then started 7th Level in 2018. And here we are, four years later. And I know a lot about what you talked about going back to the old school sales mentality of that. It's almost like a 50 year lag, right? Where they're still teaching techniques today that are completely outdated, trigger sales resistance. And yeah, it almost gets to the point where it seems like you stepped out of the role of selling to say, look, I got to teach this. This is enough's enough here. Is that accurate or or what kind of brought you on the training side? I mean, when I retired in 2017, I wasn't thinking about starting my own sales training company. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have some real estate. I'm just going to take a few years off and just see if I want to become a full-time investor or what I want to do. And and what spurred me to start 7th Level is I started seeing all these ads on Facebook and, and Instagram and those type of things, social media from the gurus. And they would say like, oh, you say this and you do this. And I'm like, whoa, that doesn't work. Like I'm in the trenches. I'm like one of the, I was one of the highest paid salespeople of all time in any industry, making multiple seven figures a year. If I would have sold that way, I would have made 90% less. Doesn't work. And I saw all these people, all these salespeople, like hoping that something would work, right? It's like they're, they're hitting their head against a brick wall every day, like hoping and praying that some magical one-liner is going to make it for them. And I felt, I felt really bad. And so people had always been telling me, like, you need to start your own sales training company. Like, you need to do this. You need to do that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. And so for the next six months, I locked myself in my man cave office at my house. And I wrote out our first uh, training product, which was like, uh, you could call it NEPQ version 1.0. Now we have 2.0, advanced 3.0, advanced inner circle, like 26 different training programs. But that's what spurred me into action because I'm like, gosh, I just, I don't like, people being, I don't want to say misled because I think a lot of sales trainers just don't know what they don't know. You know, they just kind of, just kind of rehash stuff that has been around for 150 years with a little spin on it. And now they have a new program, but I'm just like, you know, if you're using techniques that trigger sales resistance and now you have to become a master objection handler when you're the one triggering the objections, why not learn how to trigger the prospect to let their guard down and reduce your objections by 50 to 70%. And because of the trust you've built with them through that conversation, not by asking them how the weather is or how their day's going, because nobody, that doesn't build trust or credibility. That's, that's like, you know, nobody, that that doesn't work. That's a whole nother subject, right? Because people interpret you saying, how's your day going on the first part of a sales call is like, I'm just trying to get you to like me. So you buy my product or service. That's what most product prospects think when you say things like that. Because every salesperson that's ever sold them anything from a vacuum cleaner to a car to a house, to cybersecurity for their office, ask what question at the beginning of a conversation. How are you doing today? How's your day going? Your prospects don't generally believe you really give a damn about how their day is going, right? It's always okay. the weather talk too. Oh, how's the weather yeah, where you are? Where are you based? <laughs> see, that doesn't build trust. That doesn't build credibility. It doesn't get your prospect to view you as the expert who's going your company, get them the result that they want, okay? That's a whole nother training that we could go into sometime. So I, because of, of that, like seeing that out there and I'm like, I can't, cause when I was in sales, I was always looking for sales training programs that really taught 
how the brain works. Like what, what triggers this, what triggers that? Like what sales process is there? And I just never really found that much out there. It was just all, you know, uh, traditional selling skills, uh, maybe repackaged as consultative selling, ask a few logical based questions, define the needs of the product and then go into your pitch. And I never, I never used that because it didn't work that well. And so I took what I had learned, a sales structure, and I started training that that first year and started getting into this industry and that industry. I'm like, wow, this works really for any industry. Now we train 158 industries. So it's, it's grown pretty rapidly for sure. So shifting back to kind of your, your roots, because you look like you stay in pretty good shape. Let's, let's well, kind of not, shift gears. I'm not that cool, but thanks for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> let's... Um, T- t- talk to us a little bit about your routine outside of, of your day to day. So it could be your, your nutrition, your, yeah. um, your workout routine, like, and, and how does yeah. that shape how you sell and how you found success? Well, I think I obviously, I think everybody knows whether they do it or not, that being healthy is, is probably something that you should do because you want to live longer to be around your family longer, to be able to watch your daughter walk down the aisle, to see your kids grow up, your grandkids. I mean, I think that's obvious, but we have to be disciplined enough to watch what we eat. And most people just aren't disciplined, right? They, they're not committed to doing those things. So what I do is I'm just more committed. So I go to typically, on average, I go to CrossFit. I'm a big CrossFit person because I love CrossFit mm-hmm. classes because you go to the class, they have it mapped out, you get in and out in 45 minutes to an hour and you're done. I don't like going to the gym by myself because then somebody texts me, uh, you know, a couple of phone calls come in and then I've done three sets of bench and it's been an hour. I, I accomplished nothing. Mm-hmm. So I like going to like the class structure and I love going to CrossFit. So I typically always try to get into CrossFit five times a week. I would say on average because of my just travel schedule and training schedule, I'm, I go about four times a week. And those are pretty, if you've ever done CrossFit, you know, some intense workouts, yeah. uh, but it keeps me in shape. I mean, I'm, I'm in my forties now and I'm typically, most people in CrossFit are in their twenties, maybe early thirties. So I'm typically 10 years older than most people like keeping up with them, if not better. Now I'm not saying I'm like some CrossFit champion. I'm definitely not that. I would say I'm probably average at best, but just going there like gives your, I just have more energy, right? So I do it because I want energy. I don't want to have a freaking belly. A lot of my friends that I graduated high school, when I see them, their bellies out to here, they're drinking like a Mountain Dew. They look like they're, you know, instead of in their 40s, they look like they're 15 years older. And I'm just like, what is going on? So, you know, to, to keep decently good skin, uh, I stay away from anything, soda, any of the chemical stuff like that. I don't think I've drank a soda for probably 20 years, realistically. There you go. So I stay away from soda. I even, here's a kind of a weird thing. Um, about probably, well, man, 2008, 2009, after the, the market, the crash and all that stuff, at my job, they had an event over in Sorrento, Italy, of all places. And I remember, that was the first time I'd been to Italy, and I remember, like, they, they gave us water there at the event, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, can I get some ice to, like, the waitress? And she looks at me like, <laughs> who is this person asking for ice? I got this weird feeling. She comes over there with a bucket of ice. She takes, like, oh, yeah. a little scooper. <clears throat> and takes out one piece of ice and drops it in my glass and walks away and I'm like, what is going on? And I asked somebody there, like um, somebody that was at the event that lives there, that worked for the company, they're like, oh yeah, we don't drink ice in Europe. I'm like, why don't you guys drink ice? They're like, it's really bad for your metabolism. It slows down your metabolism, the ice does. And I'm like, no way. So from that day forward, I'm like, I'm not drinking any more ice. 
So I very rarely have any ice in my water or anything like that because I want my metabolism. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but I can pretty much assure you because I go to Europe every summer and just different countries. There's not many like really, really obese people that I've ever seen there. Like if, if somebody is a little bit overweight, they have like a little beer belly, if that. But it seems like people just eat healthier food there, even like the McDonald's over there. It seems like they serve different food. <laughs> I don't know. But I just, I, I, my health is really important to me as far as like, you know, I just want to be around for my kids, you know, and I want to be able to, you know, I want to be here with the company for the next 40, 50 years rather than just, you know, croaking out 20 years earlier than what I should have. Would you say that, that health and wellness has always been top of mind or has there been a transition? I say that because we've, we've talked to a lot of people who've been college or professional athletes. And then after they got out of that world, they kind of went downhill because they didn't have the coaches and the trainers keeping them. And then we've also talked to others who've gone through, you know, whether it's addiction or other things, they've had life events that have, have occurred to say, okay, that light bulb went off to now be focused on health and wellness or, you know, what is that? Was that always top of mind for you? Or does it came a lot of people COVID or having kids is when that those things change for people? Uh, I mean, for me, I, I, I played uh, high school sports and then I played college baseball. So I was always in pretty, pretty decent shape. And then when college baseball was over, I would say there was a period of like three to four years where I wasn't the healthiest, but it wasn't yeah. like I was like obese or anything. Cause I always kind of watched what I eat because, you know, like when I bend over to tie my shoes, like it feels awkward to have like a belly there where you can't do that. So I never wanted that to happen. I always told myself, I'm never going to be that person that's like, horrible looking, you know, in their 40s, 30s or 40s that are really fat. So about three or four years, I was kind of like, okay. And then I started going to like different events that the company that I was working for would put on and they would have like self-development events and how to be healthy and stuff like that. So I started educating myself probably in my mid 20s, like, hey, soda is really not good for you if police officers use it to like clean up blood on asphalt. Oh, it's probably not really good for you to digest because truckers use it to clean acid off batteries. You know, like things like that that I never really thought about. Oh, maybe Dr. Pepper's not so healthy for me. Right? <laughs> so I started learning from the company I was working for because they'd bring in like health experts and self-development people. And I just started learning and, and acquiring those skills and just kind of piecing it all together. Saw a few documentaries. And I'm like, okay, maybe fast food's not very good for me. Maybe I shouldn't eat fast food. So just little things like that. Just kind of added up. What about, because uh, a lot of what we talk about too is the sales profession in general can be very unhealthy in terms of you go out to happy hours, if you're stressed, you drink, then you come back, you wake up, you get coffee to get your energy going. A lot of that is kind of more of the old school sales mentality. What we're seeing a lot of shift to more and COVID has helped with that that we've talked about with some of the guests is that has really made the awareness for mental health and, and health and things come, come top of mind because the old school mentality is like, just drink coffee. Just just go to the bar. Drink it out with your boys if if you had a rough day. But what 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 what's yeah. your kind of take on that? Well, I think I think once you acquire the right skills, you just don't really have rough days. That's that's the problem. Like you know, we all accept like, oh well, selling. I just just gonna get pounded in the face. Just gotta suck it up. Mm. Just gotta have thick skin. Just go through all rejection all day. Well, if you want to, I guess you can. But that doesn't sound very fun. Why would you want to get? just slapped in the face all day by your prospects. Why not learn how to trigger them to let their guard down where they become open to you rather than the wall of resistance? So typically, like when people are like, how do you get out of sales slumps? Well, you learn more advanced skills. So you don't get into sales slumps. That's what you do. 
You don't just accept you're just gonna go into sales slumps and be like, oh, if, as long as I meditate 10 more minutes a day, the sales slumps will be okay. Don't accept that. Don't just stay with the status quo because that's what some sales trainer told you. When you get in sales slumps, just keep working harder. All that tells me is that their training is not very good. That's what that tells me. So I don't really drink that much. You know, when I go out to dinner and stuff with clients and everything, like I don't feel the need to need to drink a bunch of alcohol. So I kind of stay away from that stuff. Uh, not that it's bad or anything, but I just, I don't really do that. I don't do drugs, those type of things because, you know, I want to be around a little bit longer. So that's, that's what I, that's what I try to avoid. So no bong rips before your Instagram videos. <laughs> there you go. What's, hold on. What did you say? I said no bong rips before your Instagram videos. No, I'm, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. Cool I'm not, I'm not cool enough to be able to do that kind of stuff. Um, I, I so, do as many brain cells as I can, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good way of thinking about it. So getting into your training a little bit and kind of a crossover with what we're focused on. So yeah. from the behavioral science side and thinking, you know, how your prospect is thinking, what's going on between their, their ears, how much of your training are you incorporating? Okay, I'm getting the training, what's going on in my head, right? How much of is it kind of the prospects head versus behavioral science wise, what's going on in my own head right now? Well, maybe, maybe I can answer that question maybe in a different way of, of, sure. what's behind, of what's behind your question. So a lot of salespeople, a lot of companies come to us and they're like, how do we have the right mindset? How do we have confidence on our calls? And my answer is probably much different than most what sales trainers would say, okay? Um, you can read every self-development book on planet Earth. You can journal an hour a day. You can meditate for 30 minutes a day. And none of that matters when the prospect answers the phone and you don't know what to say and ask that triggers the prospect to open up and get into a two-way conversation rather than triggering sales resistance. You're gonna get smacked in the face because they don't, they don't care that you read self-development books. It's what you're saying. It's what you're asking that's going to cause you to be successful in sales or not successful in sales. It has nothing to do with if you meditate or not. I've never done any of that. I'm sure it's great for your personal life, but your prospect doesn't care. Prospect does not care if you meditate. What they care about is that conversation about them feeling that you understand their unique situation more than anybody else. So to gain confidence as a sales professional, once you learn the right skills, once you learn the right questions to ask and you learn the right tone, tone is like a forgotten art. It seems like everybody's like, oh, tone's really important, but nobody knows how to teach tonality because there's certain questions in the sales process and certain parts of the process where you need to ask questions in more of a, a curious tone, like walk me through. Can you tell me when? That's more of a curious tone. There's other parts of the conversation and different questions you ask where you need to ask more of a, a skeptical tone or more of a challenging tone. And then there's other parts of the conversation and questions where you have to lean in and ask more of a concern tone, a tone that shows more empathy. So when you learn those type of skills, guess what's it, what it does for you? It gives you confidence because you're closing three or four times as much as you did before. Look, if you're a neurosurgeon, are you gonna have confidence if you don't know how to perform a successful brain surgery? Self-development's not gonna give you that. Knowing what to do in the brain's gonna give you that. And sales is like that. You follow certain systems, certain tone, okay, certain questions, certain little sayings, and that gives you confidence because you start actually 
really becoming successful at selling. If you don't have the sales skills, I hate to tell everybody, you will never be that successful, period. I know I, I, I give much different answers than probably most sales trainers do on that. No, we appreciate that because it's, there's been, we've all heard the same thing for the last 20 years. And I definitely agree with the, the tonality portion of that. I think it's even more important and critical given yeah. at least in our world of, of SaaS sales that more of what we do is over a call or over a Zoom. I think social yeah. cues and tonality easier to pick up on and distribute when you're in an office with someone in, in a meeting room. But it's more yeah. important now to be able to share that in, on a call because more and more yeah. of our business is done remotely than it was before where those tones were easier to pick up on. Yeah, I mean, even on the phone, you can pick up on somebody's tone. But especially if you're on Zoom with them or in person, like you can oh, see yeah. their body language a little bit better. But even on the phone, you can learn how to read and hear their tone, right? So like, let's say if you're on Zoom and let's say that you're talking with like two or three decision makers for whatever you sell, let's say it's SaaS or whatever, and let's say that you're, you've shared your screen, you're going through like some type of demo or presentation and you notice that Karen over here, you got Karen, Bob, and Cindy. And when you went over that last slide, you noticed Karen kind of looked the other way and was thinking and kind of rolled her eyes. Well, what are you gonna do then? You just picked up on something that's going on in Karen's mind. So you might wanna stop and say, Karen, I noticed that we went over that last slide. You seemed a bit unsure. Can you tell me what's behind that? See, because I wanna know why Karen did that. I can't say, hey, why did you roll your eyes? That sounds kind of weird. Yeah. Karen, when we went over that last slide, you seemed a bit hesitant. What's behind that, just so I understand? Well, Jeremy, I didn't understand when you, see, little skills like that determine if you make the sale or not make the sale. And that gives you confidence. Because look, if you're a salesperson right now, imagine how much more confident you'd be if you were selling three times what you do now. Well, you can only gain confidence by your skill level. That actually works, just like a neurosurgeon. How does a neurosurgeon have confidence in performing successful brain surgeries? Well, they acquire the skills to be able to perform the brain surgery. If they didn't acquire those skills, would they have confidence in the operating room? Probably not. Yeah. It's the same thing in sales. Yeah, I always like to quote, the harder, harder you work, the luckier you get. Well, the more skill level you get, the luckier you get for sure. I yeah. know a lot of salespeople that work their butt off to the ground. They're completely broke because they don't have the right skills. They get, it goes so through a lot of rejection. Jeremy, one of the, what I'd say in the world that Sean and I are in, we sell, you yeah. know, highly technical SaaS products a lot yeah. of times to folks, like you said, through Zoom that are not sharing the camera. And that's been one of the challenges too, of we could share our cameras, we can encourage them to, but they're kind of, they're kind of hiding. So do you have any, any sort of tips for this new post COVID world if you are selling? Yeah, you can't encourage them. Because that's, I would say it sounds kind of needy. Like, hey, can you turn on your camera on so I can see you? I really like to see people. That sounds, mm. in my mind, kind of needy. Like, weird. Like, why did they want me to turn on camera? So you get on there. Hey, can you hear me? Okay, good. Now, um, can you see me? Okay, good. I'm not seeing you. Oh, okay. oh, or is your video? Oh, are you in your pajamas today or what's going on over there? Just kind of joke with them a little bit. Oh, no, no, no. Let me turn on my camera. I'm telling you, just little things like that. Are you in your pajamas today or didn't put makeup on? What's going on over there, Bob? Like if it's a man, don't say that if it's a woman, all right? But if it's a man on there, are you in your pajamas today? Didn't put your makeup on? What's going on over there, dude? Oh, oh yeah, let me turn on my camera. Just little things like that, a little sarcasm. Just joke with them, be human. 
Yeah. And how much of your work have you done with SaaS companies? Because I know you work with a bunch of different industries. What have you found the most, uh, most of your clients coming from? Well, I looked it up before we got on here. So we train 158 different industries. SaaS is in the top 25. So we train a lot of companies, a lot of salespeople in your space for sure. Okay, awesome. And, and then sort of from your perspective, pre-COVID, post-COVID, what have you really seen that has shifted on, in the sales world? Um, the only, I mean, the only difference would be is, you know, being virtual rather than in person, which I think is an advantage for any type of industry. Let me give you a few different industries per se. I mean, even SaaS would be the same way, but, uh, I know we, 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 um, we got a bit really big client about a month before COVID it's the largest used car dealership in all of uh, North America. They're out of Canada or not North America, out of Canada. And they have like 49, 50 some dealerships across all the providences and if you remember, Canada was really, really strict on their lockdowns. Yeah. So when they did lockdowns, like you couldn't physically go into a store, like quite literally, like if you wanted to buy a car, like there was chains on the doors, like it was against the law for a salesperson to be in a store and customers come in, you could go to jail for that. So they're obviously freaking out. They're like, what are we going to do? We're going to have to file bankruptcy, obviously, blah, 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 blah. So we taught them how to call leads and do a triage call and then get the ones that are qualified enough on Zoom. And when they made the sale, the salesperson would drive over to the dealership on the outside in the parking lot, get the paperwork authorized there in the parking lot and give them the keys outside of the store. And during the lockdowns, their sales went up over 200 some percent because they were able to reach more people because they were calling leads rather than having just people randomly walk into their stores. That was a big deal. They're not going back to the way they used to do things. Now, they're still having people walk in, but do you think they're going to stop calling leads now? Of course yeah. not. So that changed their mindset. Same thing in the insurance space, because insurance salespeople used to have to go to the home, right? Got to be in person to close the deal. That's what people were telling us when they didn't like, no, you don't have to. So instead of like driving 30 miles to this appointment, and let's say they're not even there, and then your next appointment, you got to drive 17 miles over here, and you're there an hour and a half, and then the next appointment's across town, takes you 45 minutes with traffic, and you close that one. And then your last appointment's over here, and they ghost you. And now it's the end of the day, and you saw four people. Well, we taught them how to have leads. When they call leads, instead of setting appointments at home, set them up on Zoom. And now instead of seeing three or four people a day, because they're driving all over the town, guess how many Zoom appointments they were getting on? Eight, 10, 12 a day. And their sales, just because of that, more than doubled. Because they were seeing more people. Do you think they're ever going to go back to the other way? No. So just little changes like that, I think, opened up companies where they didn't have a choice, but because they started going virtual instead of like, oh, you know, we got to fly over to Atlanta to do that demo. Now they can just do it on Zoom and save all that travel time. And they can do many more appointments rather than like taking three days to go do one demo at a company in Dallas. So I, I think that saves a lot of time. So I think it was a good thing that actually happened. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this, the hybrid world now of, of it being acceptable, because it used to be pre COVID, the company I was at, Oh, we do a, a proof of concept kickoff. We're going to go on site to kick it off. We're going to go on site to end it. We're going to go here, go there. So you're on the road a lot and you're like, couldn't we just do this over zoom and maybe meet them once during the sales cycle? Yeah. 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 And, and everybody accepts that now. I mean, you even have uh, people that go to church on zoom. So it's like every, even grandma and grandpa know how to use Zoom. Everybody knows how to use Zoom. 
Yeah, we, we got a buddy that was uh, working there during the pandemic and just watched his uh, stock yeah. skyrocket. <laughs> he had a, a good, good little time there. Numbers changed drastically yep. after the fact. That he should have pulled out when we told him. Yeah. Congratulations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, I think uh, really appreciated all this information. I think for, for our listeners, any kind of last minute tips that you'd give them um, when you're thinking about yourself and kind of health and wellness in the world of sales. And then uh, lastly, you know, how, how can people get out there and, uh, and reach out to you? Yeah. I mean, as, as far as tips, there's, you know, there's a, a, a lot of tips for sure, but you, yeah. you know, on a pen and piece, you know, grab a pen and a piece of paper and write down. Cause I see, we see so many salespeople and companies that just focus on their solutions and how they have the best this and best that, which your customers don't care. Just everybody knows. They don't care what your corporate office looks like. All they care about is, can you solve our problems and get us the best result? And we find a lot of times salespeople don't even know what their prospects' problems are, quite literally. They just know everything about how their, how their software or their whatever they're selling works. They know how it works, they know what it does, but they don't know what it solves. And they don't know what objectives their prospects are trying to get to and how, because they have these problems, it's preventing the prospect to get there. Okay, They don't know how to build a gap from where the prospect is. We call that like their current situation or current state compared to the prospect wants to be. We call that their objective state. Now, what's the gap in between? It's all these problems that your questioning ability allows the prospect to see they have that they didn't even know they had when they first started talking to you. One thing we have to understand is that most of your prospects, even if they book a call with you, don't even know they have a real problem when you first start talking to them. Or maybe they know they have a problem, but they don't really understand how bad the problem really is. Or maybe they don't understand what the consequences are if they don't do anything about solving the problem. So once you learn what we call NEPQ, Neural Emotional Persuasion Questions, we show you how not only to help the prospect see that they have one problem, but how to help them see that they maybe have two or three or four other problems they didn't realize they had. And when your questionability allows a prospect to come to that conclusion themselves, how do you think the prospect starts to view you? Well, they start to view you as like the expert, like the trusted authority who understands their unique situation the most. And who do you think your prospects buy from? The company and the salesperson who they feel understands their unique situation the most so they can get the best result or the salesperson who just has the cheapest price. They'll always go with the people, the company, who they feel understands their unique situation the most because they feel like they can get them the best result. So once you learn those type of skills, people start to view you much differently. Rather than being viewed as just another salesperson trying to sell them something, which is probably not how you want to be viewed, you're now viewed as the expert or the authority that they're reaching out to chasing you down to buy from, not you chasing them. And that's a, that's a big difference in how much you make in commissions as a sales professional, for sure. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. I love that. All right. Yeah. yeah, and hey, if they want to learn more about uh, about us, we'll get, I know we didn't have time to go through like specific questions and everything. Uh, we'll give them some nibbles. We'll give them a little hors d'oeuvres. They can just join, join one of our free Facebook groups. Um, have them go to www.salesrevolution.pro. So salesrevolution.pro. Uh, I think we have 45, 46,000 people in there. A lot of them are in your guys' industry, SaaS, as well. I've seen a lot of testimonies from those people. We go live in there three or four times a week, different Q&As, different subject matter trainings, so they can get a little nibbles. And then if they want more advanced training for their industry, just have a message us in the group, and then they can get on with the team member, go through the different training options 
for their industry if they want to sell more. But just have them start in the free Facebook group first. Love that. Check it out, guys. Seventh level sales revolution on Facebook. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining today. Yeah, just go salesrevolution.pro. That's the best place. All right, guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Stay out of trouble. Thanks, right. Jeremy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Optimize Sales with your hosts, Matt and Sean. We hope you enjoyed today's show and we look forward to bringing you more health and wellness tactics to make you the best sales rep or sales leader possible. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please follow us on Instagram at Optimize Sales, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on all major podcast distros. As always, you can head over to OptimizeSalesShow.com to check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. And remember, optimize your mind and body, optimize your pipeline.